0: Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's a joy to be in worship with you today. I want to remind you that this September 21st, we have the annual RPC Mission golf tournament. We are still looking for sponsors uh, and participants. We need people to play but also uh, help uh, fund the event. It goes all the money out the door to our mission partners to help uh, provide for the vital ministry that we're doing here in North Metro Atlanta and really around the world. You can go and sign up at roswellpress.org. I invite you to invite a friend along, put a team together. It's a great time of fellowship and fun as we play golf together. Well, today we are launching a new sermon series looking at the Ten Commandments. How shall we live? So let us look now at Exodus 20, verses 1 through 6. Listen for the word of the Lord. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For the Lord your God, I, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments, you might be our teacher. Lord, the Ten Commandments might be somewhat familiar to us. And so I pray, God, that you might illuminate them, that you might help us see them in a new way, Lord, that we might get to know the author of the commands and that we might experience more flourishing life as we follow them. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you always know where you're going? Last year, I ran in a 5K fun run for an organization that my wife and I support. The 5K is hosted every year in an office park down in Buckhead. And it's one of those office parks where everything looks the same. All the buildings look the same. All um, the yards look the same. The roads look the same. Everything looks the same. But it's okay, because I've run in this 5K in the past, so I know my way around. But that particular morning, the Atlanta Fire Department showed up. And they said that the course organizers had to change the route of the course. So everyone was thrown into a panic about this updated route. But nevertheless, we lined up at the starting line. I put on my headphones, turned my podcast up. I was showing, wearing my you know, running shorts, showing some high thigh, and we were ready to go. And the gun goes off, and everybody launches out. And I try to get it going pretty quickly so I can make some space for myself, and, and we're running. And every time the course would take an unexpected turn, there were volunteers there, that would direct you in the way to go. A volunteer would say, go this way. Someone else later would say, go that way. You're halfway done. But somewhere a little after the halfway point, I must have gotten really caught up in this fascinating podcast about 18th century theology. Because as i was just following the guys in front of me, figuring that they knew where they were going, until I looked down at my watch and I mean, I'm not the fastest person in the world, but a 5K usually I can finish in 23 to 24 minutes. Well, I look down at my running watch, and I see it says I've been running for 40 minutes and counting. <laughs> and the racers in front of me, they kind of stop too, and they notice that something has gone wrong. And so we, f- we flag down a volunteer. We ask her, um, what happened? And she says, well, when did you guys start? We said, we started at the very beginning when the gun went off. She says, oh my, y'all must have missed the turnoff way back there. You've run the route twice. (laughs) And runners are serious people. And I must tell you, these runners in front of me were A-N-G-R-Y. They were angry. But you know what I thought? I thought this is going to make a great sermon anecdote. (laughs) And I think it's appropriate for today. The Ten Commandments are like those volunteers directing us where to go. They help us stay on the path. They will help you make it to the finish line. They will get you where you want to go in life. That's what, how the Ten Commandments function in our world and for our lives. Remember the context in which the Ten Commandments were given. These commands come in the middle of a story of a people. God creates the world and calls it good. And then 2,000 years before Christ, God calls Abraham out of this town called Ur and he makes a covenant, he makes a promise with him. And eventually the descendants of Abraham have to go up to Egypt, they have to go up because of this severe famine. And over the next 400 years, eventually they fall into captivity, they are enslaved, they find themselves in slavery in Egypt, but God hears their cry. And he calls one of the great leaders of all time, he calls Moses to go to Egypt and lead the people out of captivity, to lead them out of slavery. And there they go. They're liberated. They're free. And so there they go into the wilderness, and several months later, God meets Moses and calls him up to go to Mount Sinai, and there he receives the Ten Commandments. He receives the law. Now that the the people have been liberated from slavery, they need to know how to live. You see, you can take the people out of Egypt, but you have to get Egypt out of the people. The people have been redeemed. They've been freed. But how is a freed people called to live? Now that we've been redeemed, we've discovered this new freedom and new life, how ought we to live? One of the great books on the Ten Commandments is written by a woman named Joy Davidman. Joy married C.S. Lewis later in life, brought a son into the marriage. You can watch their story in the movie Shadowlands where Anthony Hopkins plays C.S. Lewis. It's a profound story. But Joy wrote this book uh, about the Ten Commandments called Smoke on the Mountain. You see, Joy was Jewish and eventually converted to Christianity later in life. At the beginning of this great book, Smoke on the Mountain, about the Ten Commandments, she begins on page 14. She makes a profound point. She says this. God, for many of us, is a life preserver flung to a drowning man. And so he is, if you happen to be drowning. But you can't drown all the time. Sooner or later, you have to start merely living again. You reach shore, splutter the water out of your lungs, and then what? Throw away the life preserver? She says, you can't keep drowning. Eventually, you have to decide how to live. And the Israelites have been liberated from drowning. And now God is giving them a road map. He's giving them directions on how to live. The Old Testament law is referred to as the Torah or the Torah. comes from the Hebrew word Yara, which literally means to show the way. The commands show us the way. Notice how the Ten Commandments begin with a prologue. God states who God is in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God says, I am the liberating God, I have set you free, I have redeemed you from captivity, and now I'm going to tell you and teach you how to live in response to that redemption. Well, several questions confront a people who have been in slavery and now who are free. The first is, how are we going to take responsibility in arranging ourselves? How are we going to, to live as individuals and as a community this is a question of political theology. How are a people going to organize themselves? And there's a spectrum of options that we actually see in the Exodus story. On one end of the, the spectrum, you have what we might call authoritarianism. Now, an authoritarian, uh, authoritarianism could mean you're ruled by a tyrant or even a benevolent dictator. But whichever it is, one person holds ultimate authority. All power and authority is held by one person. Whatever he or she says goes. He makes the law. So for the Israelites initially, this is Moses. He's led the people out of slavery. He's deliberating among the people. He's resolving all their disagreements. Moses holds ultimate authority in Israel. It's an authoritarian model. Now on the other end of the political spectrum, we have anarchy. What happens when Moses goes up the mountain? Anarchy ensues. Anarchy occurs when you have a thousand different people vying for power and for control. It often leads to chaos. You start building golden calves. You begin worshiping them. There is no law. And when Moses goes up Mount Sinai and he comes back down, what does he discover? He discovers anarchy, chaos. But notice what Moses brings down with him. He brings two tablets, the Ten Commandments. Now the people of Israel have a law to obey. See, neither authoritarianism nor anarchy are permitted. There is a law that must be followed that governs the people. And everyone is held to the standard of this law. From the lowliest tent maker to Moses himself, everyone is under the law. No one is above the law. Many years later in Israelite history, one of the fascinating stories in the Old Testament comes when David is the most famous king in Israelite history. But at the low point of his life, he takes a woman who is not his wife and takes her as his own. Fathers a child with her and has her husband killed. When the prophet Nathan hears about this, he goes to confront David and he tells him a little parable tells about this rich man who goes to this poor neighbor and steals this man's lamb and uses it for dinner. When Nathan tells this story, David becomes indignant. He cannot believe this injustice. He will not stand. It's against the law to steal. What he doesn't realize is that this story, this parable, is actually about him. In one of the more profound verses in scripture, Nathan says, Ha-Aish, you are the man. You are the man this story is about. Even the king is under the law, Nathan says. You're not above it. You must be held to account. And for breaking the law, David experiences the pain of punishment. Even for a king, breaking the law brings punishment. Our scripture today reads, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. It's the generation they're still alive. But showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Breaking the law will bring consequences that will reverberate throughout your family down through the generations. How many people have seen a parent committing adultery and then seen a child grow up and do the same thing? Or a parent cheats on his taxes, steals, only to see his kids grow up to do the same thing. Our sin, our breaking of the law, tends to beget more sin. As Martin Luther once said, no sin comes alone, but it always prompts another one after it. If you commit adultery, then you're going to have to lie to cover it up. And eventually you're going to have to steal to cover that up. We'll talk about Woody Allen's fascinating movie, Match Point in a future sermon. We might think, though, that God is a vengeful God, fundamentally, but that's not the case. Pay attention to verse 6, but he shows steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, God's love and God's grace far outweigh God's judgment. God's favor exceeds his wrath. If you follow these commands, your life, this community, will flourish. But if you lie, if you cheat, if you steal, things will not go well for you. See, God's law shows us the way to to flourish as individuals and as a community. Now, if we're honest, most of us kind of have a a love-hate relationship with the law. We're kind of ambivalent about it. My pastor in college used to tell a parable that I find very helpful I want you to imagine that you're on an abandoned road in the middle of Georgia. You're driving with your family in the family minivan. Kids are in the back. You're just having a great time. And then out of nowhere comes a car up behind you with a group of bandits in it. These guys do not look nice. I want you to think this is like something out of a Mad Max movie. This group of marauders, they, tend, they run you off the road. And your family is terrified. Everyone is screaming. And suddenly in the distance, you see blue and red flashing lights. It looks like a Christmas tree. You see them and you're so happy. And just like that, two Georgia State Troopers pull up and rescue you and your family from these malevolent, malevolent people. You all breathe a, a huge sigh of relief. Your kids begin to chant "They're Georgia State Troopers, Georgia State Troopers. You're so grateful for them. The law has saved you. You love the law. Okay, that's the first scene. Now I want you to imagine another one. Imagine you're on the same abandoned road and you've just gotten a new car. Yep, you've always wanted one and you finally got a brand new Maserati. You're driving on this abandoned road and you think to yourself, you know what? Let's, let's see what this thing can do. Let's open her up. And so you put the pedal to the metal, 50 miles an hour, 65 miles an hour, 75, 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. And suddenly, out of nowhere, in your rearview mirror, you see red and blue flashing lights. And you experience the universal sensation of a sinking stomach. Oh, no, you think to yourself. You kind of look ahead, hoping he's going to get somebody ahead of you. But nope, the Georgia State Trooper. Pulls you over and writes you up for speeding. You try to argue your case. I just got this Maserati. What good is it having one if I can't open it up and speed? They go this fast on the Audubon. I wasn't hurting anyone. You are so angry at the law. This is the nature of the law. You see, when the law protects you from a tyrant, you love it, except when you are the tyrant. When the law protects you from a tyrant, you love it. Except when you're the tyrant. When you are a tyrant, you hate the law, but everyone is under the law. God has graciously given us the law to protect us from others and from ourselves. The law proves to us that we are not perfect, and this leads to a feeling of guilt, which leads us to the author of the law. We want to know its maker. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, said that the law has given rise to guilt. He says, before the law, we sinned, but we didn't know we were sinning. But now, with the law, we know we've sinned, and we know we're guilty. Paul, in his complicated way, says that the law is good, but it has shown him to be a sinner. And so he asks, what am I going to do? And in Romans 7, he writes, wretched man that I am, he's a sinner. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, while the Ten Commandments reveal our sinfulness, we are not left in our sin, but we're directed to the author of the law, our Lord Jesus Christ, who offers us grace and forgiveness even in our sin. A number of years ago, I was training for a half marathon and happened to be running in Virginia Highlands, a a place I don't usually run. And I was unfamiliar with it, and I was on one of my long runs on a Saturday, and I took a few wrong turns, and I I found out that I was lost and had no idea where I was going. I didn't have my cell phone. I didn't have any directions. I didn't know where I was. I began to panic, and so I kept running, and eventually, I remember I came around a corner, and there in the distance, I saw the spire of the Bank of America building. And when I saw it, it gave me my orientation and I knew where I was and I knew the way to get home. Friends, Jesus is that spire, is that author and perfecter of our faith. God has graciously given us the Ten Commandments to direct our lives, to keep us going in the right direction. Jesus will guide us home, show us the way. And when we fall, when we fail, and we will, we have a gracious Savior, Jesus Christ, who forgives and helps us It helps us get back on the right road. The, can- the Ten Commandments show us the way to the Maker, and they show us how to relate to ourselves, to our world, and to one another. As Pascal wrote, it's good to be weary and worn out, so we'll open our arms to the Redeemer. It's good to be weary and worn out, so we'll open our arms to the Redeemer. I look forward to exploring the Ten Commandments with you over the next couple months. We might find and experience ourselves as weary and worn out, but that's okay, because then we can open our arms to the Redeemer. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are the author and perfecter of our faith, that as the author of the law, you direct us on the way to live, to relate to ourselves, to your world, and to one another. Lord, when we fail... We're so thankful that we have a gracious and loving God who forgives us. And so, Lord, we trust and entrust our lives into your hands. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.